welcome to History Sleuth, a podcast exploring the involvement of history and culture and current events. My name is Adelaide, and today we're going to talk about the unfortunate persistence of the 1776 Commission, which was this thing, this project, I guess, kind of put forth by President Trump in, uh, it was announced in September of 2020, and unfortunately, it just won't die. <laughs> Before we get into that, if you're on Twitter, follow me at Sleep History to get updates about when I post new episodes, and make sure also to follow History Sleep on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, let's get into, today, into today's topic. I am super excited to be talking about this right now. I've been thinking about <laughs> this topic. I typed up my notes a couple days ago, and I've just been excited to record this because I think it is so interesting that this thing is is still around. And also, great news, only I am excited about this, <laughs> but I'm going to tell you anyway, because this is my podcast. I'm going to talk about what I want. I am ahead on my podcast. I just recorded, I just finished recording my episode on Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which I posted last week, and I'm immediately into recording the next one so I can actually get ahead. And I'm so proud of myself. So <laughs> I, I don't know why I felt like I had to share that, but now you can be proud of me too. <laughs> Give me a give me a like or a, a good job, Adelaide, in the in the reviews. I don't know. <laughs> okay, so why are we talking about the 1776 commission again? President Trump isn't the Trump isn't <laughs> isn't the president anymore, and uh, the 1776 commission project was ended uh, pretty early in Biden's administration. So, like, why are we still talking about it? Why does it matter? I've talked about the 1776 commission before on my podcast. Definitely check that episode out. Um, it was an interesting time. But here's why it's coming back. Here's why it's persisting. From an article on uh, The Hill that says, lawmakers in South Carolina are considering a bill that would use former President Trump's 1776 report to help de- develop the U.S. history curriculum for public, middle, and high school students. The Restore America's Foundation Act would require South Carolina State Superintendent of Education to, quote, review and prescribe suitable texts and online materials aligned with the principles and concepts of the January 2021 report of the 1776 Commission. South Carolina State Senator Dwight Loftus sponsored the legislation. He said, quote, we have in today's society a lot of disrespect for the flag, the national anthem, and that sort of thing. The knowledge of where we came from and why our forefathers did what they did, I think it's important that we know. The proposed legislation also requires a minimum of 30 hours of classroom instruction on U.S. history every year for students grades 6 through 12. The bill has been referred to the Senate Education Committee. Trump established the 1776 Commission in an apparent response to the New York Times Magazine 1619 Project, which focused on the country's history of slavery and racism. The former president claimed the 1619 Project taught students to, quote, hate their own country and tasked his 1776 Commission to release a report to promote a, quote, patriotic education in schools. The report, which was released on Martin Luther King Jr. Day, criticized critical race theory and pushed back against critiques the founding fathers were hypocrites for defending slavery. The Trump administration called the report a, quote, definitive chronicle of the American founding and a, quote, rebuttal of reckless re-education attempts that seek to reframe American history around the idea that the United States is not an exceptional country, but an evil one. Historical revisionism tramples honest scholarship and historical truth shames Americans by highlighting only the sins of their ancestors, and teaches claims of systemic racism that can only be eliminated by more discrimination is an ideology intended to manipulate opinions more than educate minds, the report stated. Whew, that's a quote right there. (laughs) Sorry, one more paragraph of this and then we'll talk. Uh, The report was sharply criticized by historians and civil rights groups, and President Biden signed an executive order shortly after his inauguration, rescinding the 1776 commission. The Biden-Harris transition team earlier this year accused the commission of attempting to, quote, erase America's history of racial injustice. Wow. Wow. Already, we're starting off with a bang. Um, so (laughs) where do I even start? I want to read a Wikipedia article about this too, and I want to read some of the 1776 commission today as well. I've only looked at like the first paragraph, and that's why I'm so excited because I wanted to read it like fresh on the podcast (laughs) for the first time on the podcast. Um, and the first paragraph, whew. Ooh, it was already so much, but this this article was a lot too. And I've talked a lot on this podcast about the 1619 Project and the 1776 Commission. Um, and I don't want to like rehash all of those things. Um, so if you want my opinion on the 1619 Project, that has really changed and evolved as I've researched and looked more into it. And so um, you can look at those episodes. I'll try to put like links or reference them in my description if you don't know which ones those are. And 
Man, but basically it comes down to this conversation of what is the point of teaching American history? Is it to educate people on all of American history, good and bad, or to make people love America and only kind of like highlight the good things or or tell the narrative in a way that makes America out to be good? And maybe I didn't word that question as like unbiased as, as maybe could have been, I could have worded that better. But I think that's really where the crux of the 1619 Project versus the 1776 Commission comes in. The 1619 Project's goal was to reorient the American story by placing slavery and the institution of slavery at the center of the narrative, because we don't normally do that. The point of the 1619 Project was giving us a new perspective, telling the story from a new point of view, because we don't normally do that. And the 1776 Commission and different conservative politicians like Tom Cotton specifically in particular were they were uncomfortable with that and and that's something i get into i think it's the episode miseducation persists in my my black history month series earlier this year there there were some politicians in particular that were uncomfortable with that i think because it was unfamiliar to them it's not the kind of history that they learned and they think that it's a very negative way of of going about teaching american history and i think we'll have this will maybe come up a little bit later so the argument that i've seen before against the 1619 project and against centering these narratives of oppression and injustice that America has inflicted. I've heard this before from PragerU videos that I've unfortunately watched and commented on in, in this podcast, and also the responses that I've already said, the responses I've seen to the um, 1619 Project that are not related to the kind of like scholarship and history that they're doing. There is, there is definitely fair criticism in that, but criticism related more to the, the perspective and the goals of the project are that we don't want to focus on only the negative things of American history and tell people that America is terrible and the worst ever. We don't want to act like America was the only country that ever did bad things and the only country that ever had slavery. And that's fair. We don't, we, <laughs> I don't want to teach that either. You know, I don't want to say that America is the worst, absolute worst country in the world and has done things worse than any other country. Um, I think that kind of comparison game, everybody loses. Um, that's not a good thing to, to play. I don't even want to start a conversation about which country has been <laughs> the worst country in the whole world. I don't, I don't, Mm, that doesn't sound fun at all. And I would agree with the conservative politicians and critics of the 1619 Project in in that sense. Like, no, we don't always want to tell the story of America as America is the worst country ever. But I don't think that's the kind of uh, narrative that we often fall into. I think more often people will like to say America is the best country ever <laughs> and has never done anything wrong, which is just as untrue as America is the worst country ever and has done everything wrong. Um, we don't want to say America is the best or America is the worst. We're just a country full of people, <laughs> flawed people, um, like every other country who's it's full of flawed people. And, and we can celebrate the things that America has done well, while still acknowledging the injustices and oppression that America has caused. We can do both of those things because both exist. And when we refuse to acknowledge those injustices and, and those more difficult parts of American history, those historical tragedies, as I like to call them, when we refuse to acknowledge those, that leads to issues as well. And so the 1619 Project, in some sense, is a, is a seeking to correct those issues and to say like, hey, we carry these historical tragedies and we don't often spend a lot of time mourning them or recognizing that they were bad. And I think it's really important that we do that. And that I totally agree with. So not, we don't, it's this hard tension. It's this hard tension. And I think I've talked too long on this point, but we have to have that balance between American exceptionalism is a problem, but also demonizing America is a problem. And we don't want to do either of those things. We want to um, educate people fairly and evenly about um, American history. All that to say, I do think it's really important how we go about teaching American history, especially for those of us that are American. I think most of my listeners are American, but I know not all of you guys are. So shout out to my, my non-American listeners our country is going to look like a bit of a disaster after this episode. <laughs> so uh, I promise we're not insane. But anyway, for those of us that are Americans, I think it's really important that we have a good understanding of our history. We, it's our responsibility as Americans to handle our historical tragedies well, um, to seek to fix things that our, our ancestors have, have broken or done badly um, and see if we can right the wrongs that they've, that they've created, that we've inherited. And, and some of what we inherit is that legacy of 
institutional slavery and oppression and injustice. And so we need to, to seek reconciliation for those things. Um, and I don't think reconciliation begins with not acknowledging that those things were ever broken <laughs> or pretending like everything's fine. Pretending like everything's fine is not loving. And I would argue is not patriotic. These are all things I've already said on my podcast. I basically just gave you <laughs> a summary of everything that I've said before. Um, so I'm going to move on, even though I could talk about that literally forever and probably will. Okay, so the Wikipedia article on the 1776 commission says this. Trump first spoke of giving students a quote-unquote patriotic education on September 2nd, 2020. He reiterated his intention to establish the commission in a proclamation on October 6th, 2020. The commission was conceived partly as a response to the New York Times 1619 project, which explores American history through an African-American framing. Various federal laws prohibit the federal government from directly regulating school curriculum, which are determined by school districts under rules established by state governments. However, the federal government influences state and local decisions through funding. Trump announced the new commission in a speech on September 17, 2020, in which he contended that a, a quote-unquote twisted web of lies regarding systemic racism was currently being taught in U.S. schools, calling it a quote-unquote form of child abuse. <sighs> Which, okay, I've already, I've already talked about, I've already, I'm sorry, I've already talked about these quotes. I've already talked about this in another episode, but it's still so disturbing to me that you would compare anything that's not child abuse to child abuse. I really don't like that. That makes me really uncomfortable. Okay, but moving on. On November 2nd, the day before the 2020 elections, Trump officially established the commission by executive order. Trump appointed the commission's members on December 18th, 2020. The commission held its first meeting on January 5th. January 5th, 2021. Okay, so sometimes I don't read my notes super carefully before I start podcasting. It just happens. It's just how I roll. But like, wow, they really weren't here for a long time. Here for a good time, not a long time. 1776 Commission. Wow. Sorry, I'm just processing too that they, they met the day before January 6th, 2021, which, as you all are aware, probably uh, that's when the Capitol was stormed by a bunch of people. And I have that episode written up too. I think I'm, I'm almost ready. I think recording three podcast episodes in one day is probably too many, <laughs> but I will record, I will record my episode and kind of unpacking what happened on January 6th soon. But I think it's just funny to me that this happened on January 5th. Okay. That's kind of not relevant. Under the executive order, Trump established an 18 member group serving a two year term appointed by the president which is to write a report on, quote, core principles of the America American founding and how these principles may be understood to further enjoyment of the blessings of liberty. The heck? What does that even mean? Again, this is where I'm struggling for not reading my notes too clearly. I told you <laughs> that I was going to read the 1776 Commission fresh on the pod, but apparently I'm reading all of my notes fresh on the pod. <laughs> uh, what does further enjoyment of the blessings of liberty mean and how does that relate to studying history? Questions for another day. Uh, okay, so the goals. The, according to the executive order established establishing the commission, the commission's goal was to end what it calls the, quote, radicalized view of American history, which has vilified the United States founders and its founding. In response to the work of figures like Howard Zinn and groups like the 1619 Project, the 1776 Commission seeks to increase, quote unquote, patriotic education. Again, again with that phrase, I'm really, and I know I already talked about this <laughs> extensively, patriotic education concerns me. Education should not be patriotic. Education should be even and unbiased and for the purpose of educating, not for the purpose of creating super fans of America. Okay, sorry, sorry. The 1776 Commission seeks to increase patriotic education via a centralized approach to nationalist curriculum. Centralized approach to nationalist curriculum? The heck? Okay, okay, sorry, sorry. I really want to get to the actual text of the 1776 Commission, but I just think all of these things are really important also. Okay, Wikipedia article says this effort is linked to Trump's wider attacks on critical race theory, which we don't even have time to get into that right now. Really tempted to, really want to, but we don't have time. Okay, the commission was also intended to promote these concepts at national parks, landmarks, and monuments, among other federal properties. Federal agencies were instructed to provide grants and initiatives in a way that prioritized those supporting, quote-unquote, the American founding. Uh, do I want to talk about that? Do we want to talk about how strange and nationalist that is? Do we want to talk about the fact that nationalism has caused problems and caused problems on, like, January? 
26th, the day after this commission started. I don't want to talk about that. I'm going to move on. We'll talk about it later. Uh, another time. Another time. Okay, the members. The members. Who are the members of the 1776 commission? I can feel my brain cells dying. <laughs> as i read this article and we haven't even gotten to the actual 1776 report yet and my brain cells are leaving this is a bad sign okay 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 the 18 member commission was composed of here we go here are the people studying american history who are going to give us our patriotic education that is encouraged to be taught in public schools and federal agencies and national parks for i don't know why you'd go to national park to do this but whatever and also that south carolina is trying to reinstate even though federally this has ended but here they are here are people uh conservative activists politicians and intellectuals it included no professional historians of the united states no professional historians. no professional historians again i'm going to say it included no professional historians of the united states and I'm not even going to comment on that. I'm just going to let you think about that. Trump appointed the commission's members on December 18th, 2020. I'm not going to read all their names to you. The commission released the 41 page, 41 pages. Should I read all 41 pages on the pod? Should I do it? I might anyway. I might do it even if you tell me not to. <laughs> We're definitely not going to get through all 41 pages uh, today because my brain is going to die before then. But whatever. The, seventh, the, the commission released the 41 page, the 1776 report on January 18th, 2021. Two days before the end of Trump's term and the inauguration of Joe Biden, the report does not include citations or footnotes. <laughs> no citation. And it does not identify its main authors. It, does, it doesn't have... What do you mean it doesn't have citations or footnotes? I'm sorry, a report on American history doesn't have citations or footnotes? I once got docked a whole letter grade on a history paper because I didn't cite my professor. <laughs> I didn't cite things that I had learned in class that the, the professor had taught in lecture on the paper. I cited everything else. It wasn't even on, it wasn't a paper on her lecture. It was like from a, a primary source and a secondary source that I had read and wrote a paper on. And I know, I know now that you're supposed to cite the professor when you mention something that you learned in the class or in a specific lecture, but I didn't know that then. And I got docked a whole letter grade because I was missing one citation of like six. And you're telling me, <laughs> you're telling me the United States government published a 41 page report. Paper I got docked on was only like five pages. A 41 page report with no citations or footnotes. What kind of grade are they gonna, what kind of grade would they get from this? I'm really interested. I, I need to get one of my professors on this podcast and ask them, what grade <laughs> would you give the 1776 report? Just kidding. I love my professors too much. I would not make them read this. Okay. <laughs> Reading the rest of this Wikipedia article, among other things, the document identifies progressivism and racism and identity politics as challenges to, the Amer to America's principles and likens them to communism, slavery, and fascism. It refers to John C. Calhoun as quote, the leading forerunner of identity politics, end quote, and criticizes some aspects of the civil rights movement. The document also describes American universities as, quote, hotbeds of anti-Americanism, libel, and censorship, end quote, and criticizes feminist movements. It concludes with recommendations to promote positive stories and images of the country's founders at home, in schools, in the arts, and in the arts, among other things. Okay, I'm just, I'm not even gonna, nope. Moving on, historians condemned the report, saying it was, quote, filled with errors. <laughs> what a guess. <laughs> filled with errors and partisan politics, end quote, and identified factual inaccuracies and a lack of scholarship, like the no citations. Okay, you guys, I love doing citations and footnotes. I know that's like weird and like nerdy of me, but I always enjoy writing papers with footnotes. Like, it's so satisfying because I like go back through after I finish, like I'd leave comments and stuff as I go so I know what quotes I'm using or from where. And then I would go back through and do all the footnotes to make sure they're like formatted correctly. So it's like the last thing that I do on the paper. And it's like really satisfying to like have it all done and like put together and everything. So like the no footnotes thing is really going to get me. It's really making me sad. I love footnotes and citations. So satisfying. My citations for my history capstone paper. Oh, you know what? I recorded me 
um, reading that paper on this podcast, The Bible and American Slavery. That was my history capstone paper. And I had so many citations for that. And I included them all in the description of that episode because I cite my sources because that's what you do. That's what people do. So anyway, uh, that's a ridiculous amount of citations. Um, I did not need that large of a bibliography. That was just me because I like citing things and I like footnotes. So if you want to see how much of a super fan I am of citations, just look at the description of that episode. Just go go scroll and keep scrolling and keep scrolling because I have so many citations because citing things is great. I'm like personally offended by their lack of footnotes and citations. Okay. Uh, sorry, we're never going to get to the 1776 commission because we are still in the Wikipedia article. Sorry. Okay. The American Historical Association, AHA, in a statement co-signed by 33 other historical societies, stated that the report was completed, quote, without any consultation with professional historians of the United States. (laughs) It's just so ridiculous to me. Like, why would you? Okay. Okay. I can respect the fact that, like, you want to tell a positive story about America. If I was talking one-on-one with someone and they're like, you know what, Adelaide, I just love America and I want to create this report that tells the stories of of things that people can love about America. I would say, you know what? You do that. You do that research project. You love history. I also love history. I can respect the fact that you want to talk about positive stories. I'm kind of more drawn to talking about negative stories because I'm motivated by things that make me angry and I want to see these things resolved and reconciled um, so that we can really celebrate those positive stories. But, you know, I appreciate people that are drawn to those more positive things. We need that good balance. And so I could respect the fact that you wanted to tell positive stories about America. But it's like you can tell positive stories about America and still do history. (laughs) You can do good research and come away with positive stories. So the fact that they're like doing not even like researching correctly makes it look like there's not that you have to make up things about America to have good things to say about America. And I don't think that's true for the record. I don't think that's true. But that's what they're making it look like. So that's stupid. Okay, continuing on. I wanted to say something more eloquent on that. But I really just came down. I'm really losing brain cells. Okay. On January 19th, 2021, the Association of University Presses released a statement, quote, while we leave it to historians to offer a detailed rebuttal of the document's inaccuracies, if any should choose to do so, we note that it is plagued by procedural deficiencies that would render it unpublishable in a serious work as a serious work of scholarship. I just, I mean, same. Okay, James Grossman, the executive director of the AHA, criticized Trump's push for so-called patriotic education, writing that genuinely patriotic history is a rigorous effort to study the past honestly and acknowledge complexity rather than, quote-unquote, cheerleading. So good. Nationalist propaganda or, quote, simplistic and inaccurate narrative of unique virtue and perpetual progress. Grossman described the 1776 Commission's report as a hack job that was not a work of history but of cynical politics. Grossman said, Quote, this report skillfully weaves together myths, distortions, deliberate silences, and both blatant and subtle misreading of evidence to create a narrative and an argument that few respectable professional historians, even across a wide interpretive spectrum, would consider plausible, never mind convincing. That's Grossman. Honestly, I should end there. <laughs> I should stop there. I think we're, we're good. We've got it down. He said it all, but but no, we have more. And the Wikipedia article and these criticisms too. Historian Timothy Messer Cruz likened the content of the report to, quote, every moldy trope of 1950s fifth grade civics books, which scathing, scathing. I love historians. They really say it like it is. Okay. And he wrote that it misrepresented the beliefs of founding father John Jay as expressed in the Federalist paper number two. Historian Eric Rochway criticized the report for misreading John Winthrop's City on a Hill speech and for the report's claims regarding the civil rights movement. Historian Alexis Coe, a biographer of George Washington, said the report was riddled with, quote, errors, distortions, and outright lies, end quote, and mischaracterized Washington's involvement with slavery. Kevin M. Cruz and other historians attacked, uh, criticized the report for suggesting that Martin Luther King Jr. would have opposed affirmative action, noting that King, in fact, endorsed, endorsed affirmative action during his life. <laughs> oh my gosh, how do you miss something that big? All right, even historians who were critical of the 1619 Project such as Sean Wylance of Princeton University, criticized the report of the 1776 Commission. Wylance described the report as, quote, the flip side of those polemics, end quote, and basically a political document that reduces history to hero worship. These are the things that I'm saying. This is what I believe. This is, oh my goodness. Okay. Historians also noted that portions of the report had been copied without attribution from earlier writings by its authors, including a 2008 op-ed by Thomas Lindsay published in Insider Higher Ed and a 2002 Heritage Foundation essay, an Intercollegiate Studies Institute essay written by Matthew Spaulding, the commission's executive director. 
that's super funny. So this is saying they didn't cite themselves. <laughs> I've talked about this. I remember I'm not on my podcast, but like with people in the history department, like if you use something that you already wrote for a paper for a different class and you want to use that in a paper for a, a new class like do you have to cite yourself and you do <laughs> if i mean in real life it's like if you publish a paper and then you use your research and stuff you've already wrote in another paper you need to cite yourself um and it seems like a silly thing because it's like i wrote that like i don't need to i can't plagiarize myself but you actually can plagiarize yourself so this is like a little a little niche thing but yeah you should you should cite yourself that's really funny they oh they did no citations so I guess I wouldn't I wouldn't expect them to cite themselves if they didn't cite anybody else either but that's really funny that they bring that up too. Commentator Eugene Scott criticized the commission's report for suggesting quote that identity politics is something unique to those outside the Trump administration. That's fair. That's very fair. Uh, Scott writes that Trump's rhetoric and Trumpism quote has been rooted in identity politics end quote, specifically a prioritization of demographic groups that are, quote, largely white, Christian, and appealing to traditional gender norms, end quote. Writing for Slate, Rebecca Onion described the report as, quote, a screed forwarded by a fox-poisoned ant, one that might best, one that might best be politely ignored, end quote. Okay. And noted historian Diana Butler Bass's fear that the report was Quote, a huge gift to white evangelical Trump supporters who have long taught this version of history to children who are enrolled in Christian schools or homeschooled, end quote. Commission members Victor Davis Hansen and Mike Gonzalez defended the report. Hansen asserted that the report did not, quote, whitewash the continuance of many injustices, end quote, in U.S. history, and defended the report's claim that progressivism was at odds with American values, while Gonzalez, a senior fellow at the Heritage Foundation, criticized media coverage of the report and argued that Biden's disbanding of the commission was an outcome of the quote-unquote woke left waging, another quote, a war on U.S. history, end quote. Okay, last bit, last bit, then we can get to this nonsense. On January 20th, 2021, hours after you, <laughs> hours, <laughs> hours, hours after he was inaugurated as Trump's successor, President Joe Biden issued an executive order dissolving the 1776 commission. The report was removed from the White House website, although the National Archives and Records Administration archived the report along with the entire Trump White House website. So, wow, I've already been talking for like 30 minutes and we haven't even gotten to the 1776 commission yet. I am going to kind of start in on this and we'll see how long I, I talk for. I might end up doing a second episode of this going over this because I really do want to actually read the 1776 commission. I feel like it's easy to to dogpile on things. You know, I think we see that a lot in kind of like the commentary community where somebody will criticize something and it starts to pick up steam and then everyone will just kind of like repeat and echo those criticisms. And I don't know that I can add anything new to this conversation about the 1776 commission if I don't actually read it. And I think it would be really interesting because I... I don't know if I can really call myself a professional historian. I think until I get paid to do this podcast, I can't call myself a professional historian. But I do have my bachelor's degree in history. So I'm not like I am educated in history and how to study history somewhat. But I'm not like a professional historian. I haven't published books on history. I don't have my PhD. I don't have my master's, you know. Um, so I I want to see what I can do and what I'm capable of just seeing on my my first read through just as kind of like a regular college educated person, not even someone with all this advanced knowledge in American history. Um, because I know those people like these are the, all the historians that I've already been quoting that their criticisms were already um, mentioned in this Wikipedia article, like they're much more educated than I ha am and have have said these things. But I want to see what's obvious and what's not obvious to somebody without all of all of their skills and all of their knowledge. How does the 1776 commission stack up? Is it similar to what I learned in school? Is it different? Those sorts of things. So that's why I really want to read it. Kind of what sticks out to me, though, so far in all of this is like lots of people have criticized the 1619 Project. I've criticized the 1619 Project. It's not perfect. It's not like well done history in a sense. I, I think their motivation to center the story of Black Americans as the story of America, I think is really good and really powerful. And I've already outlined that in other episodes. I know I've said that a lot. I feel bad about like rehashing these things over and over again, but like it keeps coming up. Yeah, I think the 1619 Project is interesting. It does have its flaws. And, and, I, and I feel like if you were going to create this like rebuttal to the 1619 Project, that you would seek to, to do better, you know, than what you were comparing yourself to. Um, especially looking at all the criticisms that the 1619 Project got, not even looking at like the actual 
content, but like how they went about that content. Um, you know, it's history written by journalists. And so their their essays and things are more up to par with what journalists do rather than what historians do. And, and historians, I think, are a little bit more... Okay, I don't want to be like rude to, to journalists. And I do think their work is, is super important as well as I was even talking about in the last episode of History Sleuth right right before this the podcast. I just, I just, <laughs> for you, it's been a week, but for me, it's been like 30 minutes uh, since I was talking about this. But the Tuskegee experiment was exposed by journalists. And so uh, that's not the first time something like that has happened in history. I think there are a lot of really important moments in our in just history as people where like journalists expose these things and, and bring to light these historical events that we haven't heard of before and we need to do something about. So I think the work of journalism journalists is, is really, really important. But also I think as far as like writing style goes and content that historians are more detail oriented um, and a little bit more thorough with their sources because we have primary sources and secondary sources and a wide variety of things. We're not trying to catch something happening in the moment, but we can we can take as much time as we need on a certain period of history. Even as we get farther and farther away from that moment of history, it doesn't become more irrelevant because people are always studying like every every area of history. So I think there's just a little bit more thoroughness, maybe I would say. Um, not that journalists aren't thorough, <laughs> but there's just a, a different kind of way about going um, writing historical work. And so I feel like all that to say, all that to say, I feel like the 1776 Commission should have looked at those criticisms of the 1619 Project and say, okay, we're going to use historians and we're going to be super thorough and we're going to go about this in a w- from a history perspective instead of a journalist perspective and, and trying to make an argument. Like the 1619 Project is definitely trying to make an argument. They're trying to argue that the institution of slavery still affects what America looks like today. Um, and so they go about using history, as I said once, uh, using history as a kind of prop to to make that argument. And so I would think that the 1776 Commission would look at that criticism and say, okay, they used history as a prop. People didn't like that. So we're not going to do that. We're going to make our point against theirs, and we're going to make it better than they did. That's what I would do <laughs> if I really was so heated against the 17 or against the 1619 Project. Um, I'd be like, okay, I'm going to do a history thing and I'm going to do it better. But that's really not what the 1776 Commission did. What I have kind of taken away from this, just reading this Wikipedia article so far is like, they almost did worse than the 1619 Project. You're telling me no citations, no footnotes, no historians were even consulted? For the 1619 Project, like, historians had their criticisms, but they were at least consulted um, and given the opportunity to give corrections and criticism to the 1619 Project. But you're telling me that didn't happen at all for the 1776 Commission? And, like, sure, they didn't have a ton of time. This only was established in, like, October of last year and disbanded in January of this year. That doesn't even, like, gives them less than a year to do anything. But, like, surely wouldn't publish something without getting comments from historians or pulling it through historians. Surely you wouldn't publish something when you don't even have anything to cite. I guess you do. Have so- you just haven't cited. I don't, I just, I don't get it. I guess I don't get what their goal is with this because they didn't create like a legitimate piece of history. It's not le- like, <laughs> you can't, you can't not do history and then call it history. Like there's a way you're supposed to go about things. There's a way that things are researched and studied. History is not just writing whatever you want and then declaring it to be true. <laughs> That's propaganda. That's not history. Um, and that really seems like what they've, what they've created here is propaganda and not history. So all that to say, let's read a little bit of the 1776 report. Um, I can already tell that this is going to get split up into two episodes. So just prepare yourself for that at some point. My editing self will come back in here and move us along, but let's read some of the the 1776 Commission's report. I'll put the link to it in my description if you also would like to lose brain cells. Okay, there are, uh, how do you read Roman numerals? Six sections (laughs) with different chapters in each section, and then a conclusion, and then like four appendixes, appendi, appendices, right? That's how, I don't know which one it is. Yep, and it's 40 whatever pages long, so let's just start with the introduction. <clears throat> In the course of human events, there have always been those who deny or reject human freedom, but Americans will never falter in defending the fundamental truths of human liberty proclaimed on July 4th, 1776. We will, we must, always hold these truths. So, <laughs> my goodness. So we're starting off strong, even from like, okay, I'm okay, okay, I'm not here to dogpile on the 1776 report, or to be nitpicky. 
that's not my goal. I don't want to criticize this just for criticism's sake, but I do genuinely have things to criticize them on. And and I do, you know, we can do this with the 1619 Project as well. I don't think I've gone through and, and read stuff from them, but I'm more than happy to do that as well. And I will be just as critical and just as hard with them or anything else that, that we go through on this podcast. But like, listen, starting off your paper, your report with two absolutes, always and never in the same sentence is like not typically what it's... <laughs> If I did that in a paper for college, English or history class, I would get counted off because it's just, you just don't do that. <laughs> you should never, <laughs> to use an absolute, uh, use absolutes. What is it? Only the Sith deal in absolutes? I'm telling you. I'm telling you. The facts speak for themselves. <laughs> just kidding. I did not mean to call them Sith. Uh, <laughs> it's also a very dramatic way to to start this off. To, so th- this, this tone that we're starting the 1776 commission with is, is we're talking about human freedom and the fundamental truths of human liberty that were proclaimed apparently on July 4th, 1776, which I would assume they mean the Declaration of Independence, right? I haven't looked stuff up. This is just me kind of flying off the cuff here. I would assume they're talking about the Declaration of Independence, but uh, I believe the Declaration of Independence was signed on July 2nd and July 4th. Um, I know this because my birthday is July 2nd. I know. I know. I'm a super, I'm, I'm really patriotic, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> I like to joke that for the July celebrations are actually for my birthday. Um, that we do like fireworks every year for my birthday, and I always have like a patriotic themed birthday party because I'm so patriotic. But that's a tangent. Um, <laughs> so I, what I mean to say is like what was proclaimed on July fourth, seventeen seventy six. Well, nothing was proclaimed. Something was signed on July fourth, but it was also signed July second, and it was written presumably before those days. So you're already kind of you're already kind of following me here. So and then this last sentence of this paragraph says we will we must always hold these truths. So already they're setting out the purpose of this um, report of this paper, holding on to truth, the truth of the fundamental truths of human liberty is is the the goal here. And so this is hard because these are all very abstract concepts. And so this means certain things to to certain people and the more like conservative demographic that they're going for, the ideas of of human liberty or liberty in general, I think, um, is is kind of this not a code word, but like it it means specific things to conservatives. It's this like talking point. And yeah, and so so this is kind of hard for me to like break that down, break that apart what they're really saying because I guess because I know that it's written by politicians for certain people with certain political beliefs so let's i'll just keep moving on from that but like that's not something that you do in a history paper i guess and and the 1619 project has the same flaws um it also uses language that caters towards the specific audience that they're trying to cater towards and it uses history as a prop for their particular ideas it's just like it's better written than this and a little bit uses actual history and citations this lack of footnotes is making me sad The declared purpose of the President's Advisory 1776 Commission is to, quote, I don't know, isn't this just them? I don't know. Okay, there's a quote here. It says, enable a rising generation to understand the history and principles of the founding of the United States in 1776 and to strive to form a more perfect union, end quote. This requires a restoration of American education, which can only be grounded on a history of those principles that is, quote, accurate honest, unifying, inspiring, and ennobling, end quote. And the rediscovery of our shared identity rooted in our founding principles is a path, is the path to a renewed American unity and a confident American future. Okay. Okay, so what is this saying here? So, so okay, so the purpose of this report, according to these authors, is to to, to, they say, enable a rising generation to understand the history and principles of the founding of the United States in 1776. So like they're saying teaching history. <laughs> the goal of this is to teach history and the principles of the, the founding of the United States. Okay, that makes sense. To, to Okay, this requires a restoration of American education. Okay, so to teach history, they want to change American education of history. Makes sense. Uh, is at least logical, <laughs> um, which can only be grounded on a history of those principles that is accurate, honest, unifying, inspiring, and ennobling. So they're arguing that American education needs to be restored. And the only way to restore the American education of history is to teach history that is accurate, honest, unifying, inspiring, and ennobling. And then this last sentence, and a rediscovery of our shared identity rooted in our founding principles is the 
is the path to a renewed American unity and a confident American future. So then they're arguing that once we find our shared identity in these founding principles that are accurate, honest, unifying, inspiring, and ennobling, then as Americans we'll be unified and be confident in our future. I'm not really sure what that last part really means, but I don't know that that's the most important. Um, Okay, so, I mean, parts of this, yeah, I mean, I think it is important to teach American history in an accurate and honest way. I think the word unity and unifying has been... mm, misused particularly in politics like like a lot people will use unity to be like you should stop arguing with me and just agree with me we need to be unified and that's not what unity is and so that's kind of my only pushback against that word though unity is a good thing i think it comes through reconciliation and compromise and sacrificing for one another which is just not what our political environment our political culture looks like in america today or maybe ever i don't know if politics will ever be unified because that's just i don't know i just that just seems unlikely to me i don't feel like politics are ever a place where people find unity across ideas maybe we need to go through other spaces um to do that um and then these last two words these last two words about their what they want these principles to be are really bothering me um the inspiring and ennobling i'm gonna look at the definition of the word ennobling just so just for funsies ennobling definition because i want to know i want to know exactly what we're getting at here they pulled out these words they put them in quotes doesn't say who they're quoting because again they have no uh, uh, citations or footnotes, but but it's in quotes. I don't know who they're quoting. They're quoting somebody. Somebody said this. Or maybe they said it. Don't know. Here's the definition of the word ennoble. To make noble. <laughs> I guess that makes sense. All right, to elevate. To raise to the rank of nobility. Okay. To make noble. So what they're saying, hmm, they want to... What? I got confused. Maybe I'm overthinking this. It's just like inspiring is a weird word too. Like you can be inspired still by learning the negative aspects of history and ennobling, like trying to trying to say that our American history is some some sort of noble thing. I don't know that that's something that you start with when you're talking about history. Um, using the word noble, not meaning like people who are members of the nobility, but like something that is good and you can be proud of something that is noble, like pure and not flawed, I guess. I, there are other ways you could describe that word, but I think that's an end result that you can have if you've done this research project and you're like, I've researched this aspect of this country's history. And honestly, I would say that this is really noble. What this person did was really noble. This is an ennobling history. I think that can be your end result once you've <laughs> given me all your evidence. But to start with it, that makes me suspicious because we're starting with inspiring, ennobling, and unifying. You're you're saying, this is the history that we're going to tell you. It's not, hey, this is what we found. After all of this evidence, these are our conclusions. It is inspiring and ennobling. But this is what we want to accomplish by telling you this history. So, I mean, we already knew. We already This is not a surprise. We already knew that this was a, a political agenda. Um, like the 1619 Project, but not as well done. The 1776 Commission has a goal in there's a story that they want to tell you and this is what they're doing so i'm not saying that i'm surprised by this i'm just saying it's bad way to do history okay next paragraph said the commission's first responsibility is to produce a report summarizing the principles of the american founding and how these principles have shaped our country that can only be done by truthfully recounting the aspirations and actions of the men and women who sought to build America as a shining, quote-unquote, city on a hill, an exemplary nation, one that protects the safety and promotes the happiness of its people, as an example to be admired and emulated by nations of the world that wish to steer their government toward greater liberty and justice. The record of our founders' striving and the nation they built is our shared inheritance and remains a beacon, as Abraham Lincoln said, quote, not for one people or one time, but for all people for all time, end quote. There's a lot to unpack there. And uh, I have to say, I'm glad that they at least attributed that quote to Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> I think that's the first quote that they've actually, they've actually <laughs> given, given to somebody. Hey, this is editing Adelaide. Sorry to cut in real fast, but um, I just wanted to correct this point because I've been doing some research for the next episode. And I'm going to kind of dive into more of the 1776 Commission and actually research some of it. And I'll talk about this in this episode, but this quote is actually not from Abraham Lincoln. Or if it is, it's not from any document or speech that I can find. Um, 
So I would like to just, you know, take back my <laughs> excitement that they are actually <laughs> um, citing something here because I think this might be a fake quote, but, you know, like stay tuned and definitely check out next week's episode to hear more on that. Anyway, back to recording Adelaide. Uh, we're only three paragraphs in and my brain's dead. Cool. So this is a good example of American exceptionalism, which is this kind of rhetoric that tries to say, uh, America is special. We're better than everybody else and we're special and we're really good and everybody should be just like us, which is not patriotism, I'd like to say. I don't think uh, oftentimes patriotism is defined that way, but I think that's actually not very patriotic at all because America, ex American exceptionalism doesn't acknowledge the flaws and the failures that America has as along with the successes that our, our country has seen. I don't think America is an evil place, a terrible nation that's never done anything good ever. Um, but also, we're not the coolest country ever in the whole wide world. We don't always do everything perfectly and correctly. And I don't think we need to pretend like we're super amazing. I think that does a lot of danger, actually. Um, and changes the way that we think about other countries, changes the way that we think about other people from other countries in a way that is not good. And so um, I think we need to be really, really careful with that. Yeah, I would also like to say, so they put the phrase city on a hill in quotes and then define it kind of with that like M dash afterwards and say an exemplary nation, one that protects the safety and promotes the happiness of its people as an example to be admired and emulated by nations of the world that wish to steer their government toward greater liberty and justice. So they're defining this city on a hill phrase basically as American exceptionalism. Um, the city on a hill phrase is in quotes, but it's not attributed anywhere and there's no freaking footnotes, but it's a, it's an allusion to, I think we mentioned this in the Wikipedia article, there's a sermon by a, a famous American, you read it a lot in American history, American literature classes, whatever, um, but it's also an allusion to a passage of the Bible. So this is another thing, maybe we'll end with this because I've been talking forever. I do want to talk more about the 1776 commission. So I will, <laughs> I will, you can't stop me. I said that so defiantly, like, ah, so I will. Sorry, I don't mean to be, I'm, I'm losing brain cells, I'm losing brain cells. I'm going to end with talking about the city on a hill stuff. I do think we're just in the introduction there's a lot more in the 1776 commission to discuss i'm kind of losing my voice so i will save that talking about another time but city on a hill this is from the bible so in my history capstone class i did a research paper on the bible and american slavery and the theme of the class was the what was it called bible since the enlightenment so we basically went over history all sorts of history, um, not just American history, and how the Bible had been used in different cultures, different places, different events. Yeah, and just kind of like what people did with the Bible. And, and something that I discovered in my paper through my research and also listening to the research um, and, and findings of my classmates was that oftentimes people, Christians and non-Christians alike, will invoke the Bible and biblical verses and allusions and whatnot to give authority and power to their ideas. And so I already said this, but I recorded me reading off my my paper. So if you're interested in that, I think it's super interesting. <laughs> I mean, I researched it. So uh, you can definitely check that out. But I mean, I saw this in, in my research, Abraham Lincoln went back and forth between quoting the Bible or referencing biblical ideas in his in his speeches. Frederick Douglass did this as well. Defenders of slavery did this as well to give themselves more power and more authority. Because you could say, it's one thing to say, oh, I think this, I believe this. But it's another thing to say, this is how it is according to the word of God, <laughs> you know, according to the Bible, this is what it is. And this is how this is how it is. That has way more authority than just a person in their opinion, you know. And it's, it's an interesting thing, too, because like, okay, so I'm a Christian, I can point out where this phrase city on a hill comes from. I was actually reading this in my Bible the other day. My faith is very important to me, an important part of my life. And it makes me very angry to see people trying to use something that is very sacred to me to give themselves more power and more authority. That's basically what this phrase sitting on a hill is doing in this report. They're just kind of pulling in this biblical idea that doesn't relate to America at all. By the way, America's not in the Bible. It's never mentioned in the Bible. Some Americans forget this. <laughs> America is not God's chosen country. But when you use the Bible in this way, you try to make it seem like America is God's chosen country. And therefore, we can't say anything bad about America because we're using this authority of the Bible. And that's just, it's misrepresenting the Bible. It's misrepresenting Christianity. This Christian nationalism is sickening to me. Sickening. 
Um, and combining that with this like American nationalism and American exceptionalism, that's the word I was looking for, Christian nationalism and American exceptionalism work really, really well together and have done a lot of damage. And so to suggest that America is this city on a hill, that's, I believe it's mentioned by Jesus in the gospel of Matthew, the idea of being a city on a hill, something that other people can see. Um, he tells, let me, let me just look it up. Let me look it up. I would also like to say, as I typed in Matthew to my Google search bar, the next word that was suggested was McConaughey. Um, and I just feel like that says a lot about me. Um, okay, so it's Matthew 514. It says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under the basket. Um, so what is Jesus talking about? in this passage he's talking about like okay so like looking through some of these commentaries maybe i'm not the best person to or the most educated person on on this to discuss i mean i've definitely been involved with like my christian faith um since i was a child so i am (laughs) pretty familiar with these things but basically being the light of the world being a city on the hill that's an idea in the gospels that's that's more of like being followers of of jesus and and doing good works, seeking to like obey the teachings of the Bible is like being a city that is set on a hill where you can't help but see it being the light of the world. Like you can't help but shine light into dark places, like doing good things, calling out injustice, seeking to help others and to be kind to others and to forgive one another um, and to seek reconciliation. All of these things that the Bible talks about is like showing the love of God to other people. That is what it means to be a city on a hill is like doing these good works and seeking after God seeking after Jesus is like something that other people will take notice of um, that will bring light to places that are darkness, that have darkness in, and are in need of goodness and, and kindness. And so it's not actually talking about <laughs> like a specific nation of people. Um, it's not talking about a nation being better than other nations. It's not talking about politics. It's not talking about legislation. It's not talking about policies or uh, anything to do with that. And it's definitely not talking about America. (sighs) America is not a theocracy. (laughs) Okay. I think people forget that sometimes. And I just, it just really frustrates me. This, this is not a rare occurrence for people to try to use um, Christianity to defend or celebrate America. Ugh. I don't have a good way to end this, but I've talked for like an hour. My goodness, somebody stop me. We will talk more on this. We will talk more. Maybe I'll come back to this and try to like rethink through some of these ideas to see if there's something that I missed. But for now, we will stop there. So that's all I've got for you guys today. Thank you so much for sleuthing with me, especially if if you stuck with me through this whole episode brain melting and all. I hope you enjoyed this episode uh, as much as you can enjoy history without footnotes uh i will catch you guys on tuesday don't forget to follow history sleep wherever you get your podcast so you don't miss it um and miss whenever i do a second episode on this and rate and review whenever you can i hope you have a great day you wonderful wonderful people goodbye